Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to awaken to the truth of your soul? Welcome to today's episode of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show with your host, Nadia Khalil. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's show. Today is Monday morning. It is the 15th of July, 2019. I missed you guys. It feels good to be back. It feels normal to be back. Um, It was really a great adventure to go back to Chicago because I didn't realize as much as I go in the last two years, I didn't go. So we went for a graduation party, but I got to see people and just, you know, one-on-one and and have time. It's different than texting. It's different than emailing or Facebooking or however else we still feel in touch. It was just sitting and having a meal. So very, very cool, and yet I miss our shows and talking to people and listening to what's going on in their lives. And I thought, you know, it's funny. Anxiety has become so accepted. Like, that gives me anxiety. That makes me anxious. I can't do that. That gets me nervous. The older people say the word nervous, which we say for what we call anxiety now. And I just thought to myself, how did we get to anxiety being a part of everyday life? So when I got home, I did some research. I wrote up the show, I want to say Wednesday or Thursday, and I wrote up all the shows for this week. And I wanted to make sure I was ahead of schedule so that, you know, when this week started, I wouldn't be in great shock on Monday morning. And I just was thinking the layers, there's layers that happen to our lives that created this foundation of what we call anxiety now. So this morning, Of course, I wake up really early, and and again, Monday morning, this was a shock, but not really a hard one, because I was very excited to get up and do the show. And so I plug in, I just Googled the layers of anxiety, and I got this, literally the different layers of anxiety by um, a place called Plump, like P-L-U-M-B, Chalk Productions. And they literally have the different layers of anxiety. Not what I was thinking, way more detailed, like psychological issues and what part of the brain it affects. But these people actually have a way of redirecting the brains and teaching, not the brains, the brains, and teaching the brain how to, like they reparent the cells in the brain and then try to redirect them. And they were not kidding. So I'm going to get to that one, but I got to tell you what Christ had to say about this, because 
all I thought when I wrote this up was, you know, how did we get here? Why is anxiety something that we all understand and suffer from to different degrees? Because there's times I'm just doing a normal day, not really thinking about anything outside the norm. And I'll notice that I feel this feeling, like this kind of anxious feeling. But I don't know why. Either my heart starts beating faster or something. And then, you know, obviously I catch it because I'm like, hey, where did that come from? And then I just breathe it out and it goes away and I totally forget about it. But my body just naturally did it. It responded to something. I don't even know what it is sometimes. Sometimes I'm rushing myself. Sometimes I feel like, how am I going to get to all of this stuff today? Basically, how am I going to do that? And then I say, well, you know what? Let me just breathe. Because when we breathe, we touch home. And when we touch home, we calm down, which is why we usually feel so good when we wake up in the morning. If on any level, just the fact that we slept. So what is it? that brings us to that boiling point faster when just one thing goes off. It's like you're doing great. One thing happens. Someone cuts you off while you're driving. One of your kids comes home and tells you something crazy that they did, um, and then you have to fix it. Um, You get a big bill unexpected or, you know, even just getting your normal tax bill for your house. And then knowing you have to come up with that money in one lump sum or something like that. But how do we bring our quality of life to the point of accepting each day without the fear, the doubt, the worry, the controls, or the guilt attached to the things we're doing or the things we need to do? How do we do that? We say self-love. We say awareness. I love me too type thinking. And that takes us a long way. As weird as it sounds to hear, those simple things carry a lot of weight. Which is why, you know, just listening to something positive every day, whether it's this show, whether it's you know, you seeking out, you know, movies that have positive endings and, you know, people who are positive, more positive than taking away from their own lives. Like, oh, this isn't working. And every time we fix something, it's like, well, that's not working. Well, that's, and it just never ends. That feeling of never ending issues is huge. So just keep that one in mind. It's like the minute you fix something, something else pops up. Because I actually lived with a family that lived that way. And I remember the father of the children under his breath when things were okay, just mumbling. He was on the computer. I happen to be there. Thank you, God, that I even heard that, or I would have never known how the mind worked when it did this. 
but he literally says, what can I create right now to mess things up? And I I turned around and I said, what did you just say? But it gave me such insight as to why we had so much chaos in our home. And it was also because if the father felt that way, even if he never verbalized it to them, even if he never said it to his children, what they were used to is feeling calm in a storm and feeling anxious when things were okay. But the reason they felt anxious when things were okay was because they always knew the storm was coming. And that storm was created not just by one parent, but when the parents were together by two. And I had never seen anything like it, but they were my teachers and they taught me well. And I loved them for it. It was maddening to be there. All to the point where I never thought of leaving. In two marriages, both people, even though they were different to a point, both people introduced to me the idea of leaving them before I ever had it. Both of them. I never even thought it. And when they said it, I thought, wow, I could get out of this? Because what happened to me was responding to others who had very high anxiety was very disheartening to witness day in and day out to the point where you think, I don't know if I have the energy to do this for my entire life, but you give it the try and that thought goes away, but it it goes into a closet with an open door. Because what happens is they know where they're going. You don't. And as you discover it and your anxiety starts to match theirs, that's why they say the weakest link sinks the ship. Because what happens is all the tools that everybody combined has in a household can't hold the household up. That's where dysfunction starts coming into the picture where someone can't lead them. Even though you're trying, their habits are so ingrained that they can't even see them. And if you bring them up, they will fight you. But the one who wants to fix things tries to fix each person at a time, hoping they're going to fix everybody. And they taught me well. The book Origins of Truth was written through the behavior that I saw about ego. And that I saw about just internal anxiety over and above the list of the real, like, hey, what goes on in your brain? I'm just talking about everyday anxiety. So I asked Christ this morning, what would we say? What would be the, the, 
underlining layers that we have that start us on this track from very young. Not, okay, this is how your anxiety looks today. But what happened to us in the beginning? Because we obviously weren't taught self-love. All the awareness we were taught, for the most part, was everything we shouldn't do or can't do, and if we did, we would be in a lot of trouble. We weren't encouraged to try everything because it scared the heck out of our parents, except for the, the, the given track of everything we need to do to be successful when we grew up, and then everything that we didn't think was going to make us successful was put to the side. but also including ourselves in the crowd instead of feeling like everything we did was wrong. So the first thing that Christ said was anxiety starts when we feel like we can't do anything about, and he listed seven things. And as he was listing them, I'm like, yep, 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 all the way down the line. Can't do anything about. Number one, assessment. You don't get to assess the situations when you're younger. Someone else assesses it and tells you whether or not you can do it. Their intentions are good. They don't want you to get hurt. They don't want you to hurt yourself, others, or damage or destroy property. For the most part. So when you don't have a say in assessments, because obviously you're too young, you get used to being told what you can and cannot do, even though you may want to run in that puddle of water, even though you may want to jump in that pool. It may not be your pool, but you may want to jump in it. It's interesting because little layers of not having a say, like, just assessment, because not having to say in something is like number four, but just the assessment part, you being able to make that decision. The other thing is not having enough time as a child to play. What nobody understands when we're children, because playing to them is disruptive. It's fun when they get you a toy and let you play with that toy and they want you to play in the way they want you to play. But kids have more fun with pots and pans and wooden spoons and playing in the yard and kicking a ball. All those kinds of things develop our thinking. Because when you do play with pots and pans, you see different uses for everyday things. And that sounds weird. Some toys make it way too easy. So they started making developmental toys, trying to kill two birds with one stone. You know, putting these things together, making puzzles, putting parts together. And that part of our growing, that physical, it's like our small motor skills and our fine motor skills get refined. We start seeing limits. We know if we jump from two stairs, it's going to be easy. If we jump from four, it's going to be hard and we could actually get hurt, hurt with our ankle. And we 
start learning over that time that we need how to make better assessments. The other thing is money. We don't understand something that's going to affect our lives. I remember when my daughter was probably five or six years old, and they had a store called Hello Kitty, and I think it still exists, but obviously it's not on our radar anymore, so I don't know if it exists. But I was a single mom, and everything in that store was really expensive, really expensive, like to the point of it being, you know, where it infringed on my budget. So she kept wanting to go, all her friends have Hello Kitty pencils, Hello Kitty notebooks, Hello Kitty t-shirts, whatever Hello Kitty had, she wanted. So I gave her $5 and I sat outside of the store with her brother and I sent her in the store to see what $5, because when I gave her $5, she's like, wow. And I thought, wait till she gets in there. She's not going to be able to buy much with $5, maybe a pencil. Maybe a small little circle pad. Maybe. She only came out with two pencils. And when she saw what $5 could buy, she understood what $5 meant in Hello Kitty. And I know she was young. I had to teach her that lesson fast. I didn't realize what I was doing at the time and how big that would be to her, but she never forgot it. Because after that, she'd say, Mom, I need more than $5. And I'd be like, oh, well, that's going to be hard pressed for something like that. But she'd understand when I would tell her I don't have $5 as much as she understood what it meant. And she knew she always needed at least that to get one thing or two things, little, little things, not even the bigger stuff. But she also learned that if she asked for $5 and put it away and then asked for $5 again in another time, that she could build that $5 into something else. Think about how much we learn when somebody is willing to take the time to teach us lessons. But as parents, we need to have some kind of foundation to know what to teach our kids past what they can't do. But just understanding these things, assessments, giving ourselves time to learn, understanding money as a tool, not as an answer, And then number four was not having to say, as we get older in our lives, when we feel like we are capable of making decisions, but the people around us don't believe in our capability. What happens to us when we leave home? Can't wait to get out and do everything we want to do that they did not let us do. Because we become rebellious. Because our free will didn't have a chance to play itself out. We don't even know what we would do in a situation. And then all we want to do is what we shouldn't do, which breeds now we took that anxiety our parents kind of taught us, 
we give it right back to them and I'm not sleeping at night while we're out because they know that now they can't control what I'm doing and I'm going to do what they didn't let me do. It's becoming cliche of itself. But number five was that when we don't have control and we don't have a say and we don't understand that money can give us an ease in a physical presence on earth and that time can teach us or give us patience to learn or assessment, being able to even have the, I want to say the honor of being able to assess because we're not always allowed to assess what's going on around us. We just respond. And it, it starts to make us feel anxious, like, oh, my God, I'm responding to this, but I don't really know what's expected of me or what I can do to make this work. Or we just need to have a certain baseline. And when we can't make assessments, we don't have that baseline. And then we have to research it or study it. And if we don't, we pay a different price because we didn't understand all the moving parts that feeling of no control, not knowing what's coming, not being able to make a clear decision, not having the time, the money, the stay. It feels just me even saying it just made my heart just, you know, like almost like, oh, my gosh, I need to breathe. But those in order, assessment, time, money, no say in it, no control. Number six is having to act on something that doesn't feel right to us. And we've had to do this from as little kids to older, and there's where that built-in springboard to feel anxiety starts. When you live in societies of different cultures where the kids are heavily involved in their lifestyle, you know, where they might live in a, in a place where they're part of the food process, they're part of the farming, or they're part of the culture and hunting, or they're part of the culture and being taught very young how to do things. And you meet them. When they're 18 years old, they are ready and they don't have that 18-year-old marker, by the way, but I'm just saying for, for markers that we understand, they're ready to live their lives because they were entrusted with responsibility and they learned to assess. They learned to give it time. They understood how to trade and how to bring money. They did have a say in it. Oh, how do you do this? Oh, let me show you. You need to learn how to do this to survive. So it gave them a sense of control. So if something didn't feel right, like let's say they walked into a dangerous situation, because they would already know the mechanics of how that needs to work, like let's say they were working with a machine and the machine didn't sound right, they would before they proceeded, stop and check the machine and say, hey, this doesn't sound like right. Why is it clinking? And they would try to fix it. They would know how to troubleshoot. 
or if somebody came and said something and tried to sell them something to better do their work, and they already knew how to do it by hand, let's say, and that instrument was going to accelerate that or make it faster, they would be able to use that instrument and know if it really would deliver. It's that basic. A lot of times we will purchase things that we are sold on, in a camera, like on television or through the Internet or somewhere, and then we get it, and it's a flimsy version of what we saw. And we're like, this is useless to me. And then we don't have the time to return it. We keep it. We just threw our money away. We don't trust our judgment, and we don't trust the world. So giving ourselves time to assess, to know where we're going to spend our money, to feel like we have a say say in it, to feel like we have a sense of control, we can answer the doesn't-feel-right feeling. But if we can't answer it, we're right back into the anxiety pool where we're just kind of like not really knowing what's coming next. And that feeling makes us not feel safe. Now, there's, you know, a lot of different kinds of anxieties, but these are just the everyday, keep yourself calm. It's different than having OCD attached to anxiety or any other kind of mental area where you need to kind of bring it up to speed or have it addressed or go through therapy to kind of work through or like this man is proposing doing different kinds of things to create a balance for the imbalance because it's always anxiety. I'm talking more about the everyday anxiety. How did we get here? And a lot of it is just nothing is really in our hands. But the last one is the biggest one. And Christ says, when you have to do something that you don't understand, when you have to do something that you don't understand, but you got to get the monkey off your back. There was a woman who one day was just working about her house. She had, I don't know how much money in her bank account. And she gets an alert on her phone that her bank account has just been overdrawn. And she thought, wait a minute, how could it be overdrawn? I have like $11,000 in there. What just happened? Well, there was a debt that she had from 15 years prior that she thought she had taken care of. And then what happened? She didn't even know that that was the debt. I mean, she had to call the bank and figure all that out. And they only told her how to call the sheriff's department and then she called them. And then they said, it's for a debt from this. You need to call the collector. The collector has been extending the judgments all along based on a judgment she signed. And she really went to the court, really thought that she had taken care of this, and apparently had not taken care of it all the way. And back then, 
she didn't document, oh, I went to court and they told me that this was gone and, and all these other factors that went in. She just didn't know what she didn't know. And there was no way to get her money back. And the laws created an environment for these people who understood the law well enough to know how to keep it going to the point where you didn't even know it was coming. And she had no way of recovering that money and had to pay more to get this debt off her record. Plus, she had to hire an attorney to make sure it was off her record, to make sure it was legitimate, to make sure all of these things were going on. But the interest on $2,000 took it to $19,000. So the $11,000 was not even enough. Do you want to think she had an anxiety attack? Yes. Because couldn't do anything about it. She had no control, no say. She lost her money. She didn't even have the time to repair it prior. She couldn't even make an assessment. She didn't even know what she was assessing. So when things happen to us, this is the filter. This is why. And this awareness gives us an opportunity to anytime anything happens to us, to say things like, hey, you know what? Can I assess this? Oh, it's because I didn't have a say in it. Did I have to do it or could I have said no? And use this as a tool to keep yourself feeling part of the loop in your own life. And at the very least, that sense of control starts to rebuild the strength part of us rather than continue to build the foundation of anxiety that we already have. It's a really interesting thing. I didn't even get to the other stuff yet, but I will do another show on that. You guys have a great Monday. I will see you tomorrow on Tuesday. Bye-bye. You have been listening to today's Daily Dose of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show. To learn more, visit www.nadiakhalil.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 